Um, Father, I just thank you just for this opportunity to open your word uh, and to go through it. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us and that you would teach us that all the things that I would say would be um, of you um, and from you, Lord. And may you, yeah, may you speak to us tonight. May we really go away with just a greater sense of you in your, and your glory and, and who you are. And not only that, but who we are in relation to you. Um, so may you guide us through this time. In your name, Jesus. Amen. So today we're going to be going, looking at a chapter in the book of Psalms. Uh, and we're going to be looking at chapter 147. Uh, and I kind of the story behind how I came across this kind of verse was for the past, yeah, about a year ago I was given um, like essentially a one-year Bible, which is kind of a cool, it's basically the Bible, um, but it's split up um, into little sections each day for a whole year, with the idea and the purpose of reading through it within a year. Um, so it was split up into basically read four sections each day, a little bit from the Old Testament, a bit from the New Testament, a bit of Psalms, and a, couple, and a little bit of Proverbs. Um, but my, uh, my kind of plan after getting this was this. I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to um, use this, read this every time just before I go to sleep. You know, I'm getting ready for bed. And I'm, I'm going to try and read a little bit just before I go to sleep every evening. But knowing that I get very tired very easily and, um, uh, yeah, find it extremely hard to stay awake, which I suppose is a good thing, <laughs> I was like, okay, let's actually make this a bit easier and split it up. Instead of me trying to take the whole of it on um, and kind of fail after a week or so, let's try and make it a bit smaller. So this is my three-year goal now, and I'm in year two of my three-year goal, so I'm not doing too bad. The first year was to read through the Psalms and the Proverbs, uh, and that is kind of the smallest kind of section of the... <laughs> and then next year, which I'm in now, um, is to go through the New Testament. Um, so I've done first year, now I'm the second year, and then third year will be then to go through the New Testament bit. Um, so then after three years, God willing, if I get through it, I would have read the whole Bible, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, we are in year two of... Year, well, three years plan. But anyway, so I came across this chapter um, when doing one of these things. And it's amazing how God often, um, when you go through a passage, there will often be many times where he kind of highlights a passage. Sometimes you don't even know why, but um, there are other moments where he highlights it. It just kind of, it's as if it leaps off the page. It kind of speaks right where you're at in the situation that you are and what you need for that day or that moment. Um, and I remember kind of coming across this, this verse, and we're kind of going to be looking at verse 3, although we're going to be looking at the whole chapter and how it kind of speaks to that. But in verse 3 it says this, the psalmist kind of speaking of God, he says this, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Here we read about a God, the God of the Bible is the God who heals. Um, and as we kind of look in the world around us, we, we live in a broken world, a fallen world. And we can see it. It's around us everywhere we are. There is this brokenness. And we know as we read through scripture that this brokenness is due to sin. And there's a number of ways in which that kind of plays itself out. It plays itself out in us being sinful and sinning against other people. Um, but it also plays itself out in other people sinning against us. And then it plays itself even more in our sinful responses to that as well. And in just the general fallenness of this world, there is many reasons uh, when we kind of just look at the kind of suffering around us 
for us to be heartbroken, <laughs> to have our hearts broken. But then as we read through this, and my encouragement to you today and to myself as well is, in those moments when we find our hearts are broken, who are we turning to? Because as we read in Scripture, Jesus is the God who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. So we'll go from verse 1 in Psalm 147. And the psalmist says this, and we don't know from, uh, from Scripture who the psalmist is, well, of this particular psalm is, it could have been David, it could have been somebody else, it doesn't say. But this psalmist says this. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem, he gathers together the outcasts of Israel, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry, He does not delight in the strength of the horse. He takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peace in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. One of the main themes that we see as we begin to go through this psalm is this idea and this subject of praise. And here the psalmist begins with, with not, only, uh, not only highlighting who should be the object of our praise, but also commanding us to praise. He starts off by saying, praise the Lord. And this idea of, of to praise is, is, is this idea of giving glory to, like shining upon, to make a show of, to boast in, to commend or to highlight. The psalmist tells us that we should be praising. And then he goes on to say who we should be praising. He says we should be praising God. And one of the ways in which our praise, as it were, displays itself is through song it's through singing what we've just kind of done today is through song through singing through music and he says this when we sing praises to god it is a good thing it is not only pleasant but it is beautiful we are called to give praise to the one who heals because it is good pleasant and beautiful 
praise in and of itself to God is something which is beautiful, something which is good, and something which is pleasant. And then from there, the focus goes from this command to praise, it then goes to the object of that praise. And this is where we'll be kind of be camping out kind of for the rest of this chapter, is who is this God that heals the brokenhearted? Who is this God? Can he be someone who we can trust? Is he not only is he willing to heal us, and is he able? Those are always going to be the two questions on our mind. And as we read through these verses, we will see that God is not just able, but he is willing. In verse 2 it says this, The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. Here we see, first of all, that God, this God of the Bible that we're reading about, is a God who builds and gathers. Our God is a God of creation and recreation. From the very beginning of creation, we see that God has this desire to build. And not just to build something rubbish, but to build something which is glorious. And we see that right in the beginning when he creates creation and us, it is this beautiful thing he builds. And even when sin enters the world and disrupts that beautiful creation, God still has that heart and desire to build. And right now, he is still rebuilding. And we are looking forward to a day once we see that that building comes to completion. That, we see that that creation, that, as it were, that recreation, Jesus recreating everything again, we see it in all its fullness and its glory. We see that here we have a God who builds, and this gives us, it gives us comfort to the brokenhearted, because we know that God builds and God rebuilds. So the brokenhearted can come to this God knowing that this God is able to rebuild. To rebuild on top of that which was broken. To rebuild something even greater. Here we see a God who builds. But not only that, we also see a God who gathers. And who he says? He says he gathers together the outcasts. And in this case, he's kind of talking specifically the psalmist about Israel, but we see through Scripture that the same is true of us. We see that we were outcasts, and yet Jesus went out and gathered us. He brought us near. And Paul kind of describes this in his letter to the Romans, where he says this, For when we were still without strength, and this is Romans 5, verse 6 to 11, In due time, Christ died for the ungodly, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Here we see that we were lost and we were separated from God. And yet God goes out. He dies on a cross for our sins. So that when we put our faith in him, 
We accept that gift and we are forgiven and are able to come into his presence. He essentially goes out and gathers us. And it's also this idea of gathering. Jesus doesn't just gather us to somebody else. He gathers us and goes, gets us and draws us near to himself. Here we see that the God of healing reaches out and pulls us near to him. And that is comfort to the broken heart because we see that God desires to bring the broken heart near to him. And then the question is, will we stay away from him or will we run because he's willing and ready to receive us? In that moment of broken heartedness, will we run to him or will we find ourselves running away from him? Here he says, look, come to me because I am the God who heals and binds. And as he says in the next verse, verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. The psalmist here acknowledges that there will be those with broken hearts. And as we mentioned, uh, we live in a broken world and we often find our hearts are broken. And as I say, not just by the sin that we commit, when there are moments where we commit sin and it breaks our heart, we're like, Lord, I'm, and I'm seeing this as, as Christians, even this happens, there are moments where we sin and we're like, Lord, I am sorry. I've seen how my sin has not only devastated those around me, but I've seen how my sin has been ultimately against you. But when we come with that broken heart to Christ, he's there, ready and willing to heal us. And then there'll be other moments when we see the sins committed against us. That breaks our hearts. When we are wronged, and Jesus is like, I know you've been wronged, and I died for that wrong as well. Come to me and let me heal you, so that that which was done to you does not become your identity, but that I become your identity. But then we'll also see how our hearts break for others when we see others going through rough times. We see that our hearts break for them as well. And Jesus says to us again, come to me and, <laughs> and have your heart mended again so that you can go out and serve again. And he comes to us and says, I'm not expecting you to save people. I'm just, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just asking you to serve people, to be available to serve, not in this idea of us trying to be the hero, but us simply pointing people to the hero. Here we see, and then there's just, just the general brokenness of the world we live in and the suffering it will at moments cause our hearts to break. Here the psalmist does not minimise the suffering, but rather he maximises the solution. He magnifies the solution. He says that there will be those whose hearts will be broken, but my God is the God that heals the broken hearted. And he doesn't just heal their hearts, but he binds up their wounds. And the idea of wounds, in some translations you'll see it as the idea of sorrows. And as we kind of see this, it looks and appears that the psalmist is, is not just referring to physical scars and wounds, but rather spiritual wounds and emotional wounds. He's saying, look, <laughs> there will be those wounds which are a consequence of a broken heart, but I am the God who binds up those wounds, who tends to those wounds. Here we see God heals the broken heart and binds up their wounds. And then, for kind of the next kind of, kind of the resulting, the, kind of the rest of the chapter, we begin to see who this God is. Who is this God? And we'll kind of, a bit later on, we'll kind of get onto 
God's means for healing us. We'll look at how, what is his tools for, for healing us. Um, but before we get there, we're first of all going to see who is this God. And I love how the psalmist goes and displays this God's character. Who is this God who heals the brokenhearted? And this is what we find out about him. In verse 4 it says this, He counts the number of the stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. Here we see that our God, this God, who heals the broken heart, is a God of infinite power. Here we see this, and, and he kind of gives a specific example, which we can easily read past it and kind of, kind of not even think about it. When he says he counts the number of the stars, he calls them all by name. It's kind of, you can easily glance past that and miss what the psalmist is actually saying. Here he says, look, he counts the number of stars and he calls them all by name. God knows the number of the stars. He's able to count them. And he calls them all by name, isn't he? He gives them all a name. So the question must become, well, okay, for us to understand this, how many stars are there? And this is where the great tool of Google comes in. Where would we be without Google? I think like every, there's, there's not a day that goes by now that I don't use Google. And even at work, when you get kind of, um, I work in a music shop and you get people, a lot of people email in because we have quite a good web presence. And, um, and you have to kind of respond to these emails. And some of them, um, you know, some of them, it often feels like, man, if you just type that into Google, because that's what I'm going to do, you're going to find out the exact same answer as me. But uh, <laughs> let me go ahead and do that for you. Uh, and anyway, so I typed into Google this simple question. How many stars are there? And as you kind of type that in, this is the first thing that comes up. Without even going into any detail, this is what comes up. It says this. There are about 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The number of stars in a galaxy varies, but assuming an average of 100 billion stars per galaxy means that there are about, and you can have a look at this, one, zero, 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 and it kind of goes on and on and on. Essentially, that's about one billion trillion stars in the observable universe. In short, we don't know how many stars there are. And this is just an educated guess, and the educated guess is around about one billion trillion. I mean, that's like an unfathomable number. And where we read that this God of ours not only is able to count these stars, which, and when it says kind of unobservable, uh, ob, sorry, the observable universe, as in there's an unobserved, you know, it's like, that's just what we're able to see with our limited kind of scope. <laughs> when it says, you know, that's what is observable, it means that there is most likely much, much more. We just can't see that far. And here he says, look, God knows and counts these stars. And not only that, but he calls them by name. They have names. He gives them names and he calls them by names. He knows uh, over one billion trillion names of these stars. We see here his infinite knowledge. He is, and, 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 and the thing which comes into our mind is, is obviously, but how can this be? <laughs> and we see here that this can be because God is not us. God is greater than us. God isn't a man. <laughs> God became a man through Christ. 
But we see that God is far greater than us. But this infinite God, whose understanding, as he says in verse 5, is infinite. This same God who is in such, in, has such might and such power and such infinite knowledge and scope, intimately cares about you and me and our lives. In verse 6 he said, The Lord lifts up the humble, he casts the wicked down to the ground. In order for God to lift up the humble and cast down the wicked, it is, it is, is it not fair to say that he must at least know enough about us to determine the, the humble and the wicked? And we even see David going even further than that. If you turn with me briefly to Psalm 139, and verse 1 to 6. And here we see this infinite God knows the intricate details of each of our lives. In Psalm 139, verse 1 to 6, the psalmist says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Here we see that God reaches out, he searches. That's, that's an active, an active and, and search me and know me. God knows us. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are, create, and, and are acquainted with all my ways. Here we see that he knows us. Every little bit of our lives he knows when we sit down. He knows when we rise up. He knows what we are thinking. He knows our state of our heart. That He knows our dreams and our ambitions. And then in verse 4 he says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You have hedged me behind and before and you laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Here we see this God that heals is not only a God who has such might and power, but he is a God who knows us by name, who knows the intricate details of our lives and loves us and cares for us. Here we see that God is not, is not just able, but he is also willing. And think about it. Who are we turning to in those moments of brokenness? Are we turning to a God who is mighty in power, who knows everything about us? Or are we turning to somebody or something else? But then the psalmist continues on. And we see here that here we see of a God who is infinitely powerful and who knows everything about us. But we also see that this same God is one who enters in. And, and he, he, he enters into this broken world and is at work. In verse 6, it says this, Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praises on the harp to our God, who covers the heavens with clouds, who prepares rain for the earth, who makes grass to grow on the mountains. He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry. Here, once again, the psalmist is saying, Look, sing to this God with thanksgiving and give praises to him. And then we read and see, that God is at work. He covers the heavens with cloud. He prepares the rain for earth. He makes the grass grow in the mountains. He has not abandoned us or his creation, but we see that God is continual. He's continually active in creation. He chooses to enter into a broken world 
and interact with his creation. And as we'll read later on, to interact with his people. And then the psalmist moves on from there and he goes on to explore the, what God actually delights. Here we see that he says what brings God pleasure. God is a pleasable God and there are things for which bring him pleasure. And in Psalm 147 and verse 10 it says this, He does not delight in the strength of the horse and he takes no pleasure in the legs of a man. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Here we see that God's ultimate delight is not in the magnificence of his creation. And here the psalmist uses the example of a horse and and an amazing creature of of great power and speed. And and then he also says that God does not take his primary, primary delight in that in his genius of creation. And he goes further on to even to talk about the engineering and kind of the, the, the kind of beautiful work of, of a leg and kind of what that does. And, and it says, no, God does not even take delight in that. But rather, what God t- takes delight in, it's not in the strength of his creation or how well designed his creation is. God takes delight in a heart that is in awe of him and that hopes in him. When a heart of a man or woman is in awe of God and has placed and has his or her hope in God, that brings God delight. It pleases him. It brings him pleasure. For us, we have this promise that, that God is pleased when we humbly seek him in awe. And when we humbly put our hope in him. So where have we and where are we placing our hope? It is in, is it in Jesus? <laughs> or is it in somebody or something else? Here he says, put your hope in me for it brings me such joy. And the psalmist continues. And as we looked at earlier, God enters into this present and fallen creation. But he also enters into the lives of his people Our God is present and active. It says this. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise you, praise your God, O Zion. He has strengthened the bars of your gates. He has blessed your children within you. He makes peaks in your borders and fills you with the finest wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. He would, his word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters the frost like ashes. He casts out his hail like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He causes his wind to blow and the waters flow. Our God, especially as we read in those first few verses, is a God who, who enters and interacts with his people. And here the psalmist is saying, look, Jerusalem, he's saying to a city and to a nation, he's saying, look, this is what God has done. God has strengthened our gates. God has blessed our children. God has given us peace. Here the psalmist specifically acknowledges how God has been at work in the lives of their families, in the lives of their city, in the lives of their nation. Here we see that this God is a God who involves himself with his people And we also see that this God is a God who speaks. In verse 19 he says, He declares 
his word to Jacob, his statutes and his judgments to Israel, he has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for his judgments, they have not known them. Praise the Lord. Throughout the Bible, we read of a God who speaks. I mean, the very existence of the Bible itself is evidence that God speaks, not just past, but also present. That God speaks to us today. He desires to speak to his people. Here we see that this God who heals the brokenhearted is a God who speaks. And we kind of see here, he's, he's saying he specifically, as in past, specifically gave his word to Jacob and his statutes and his judgments to Israel. This is a God who makes himself known. This is a God who desires to speak to his people then. He's a God who desires to speak to us now. So here we see in this chapter, the psalmist gives us as Christians this comfort. The Christian whose heart is broken. As we read this psalm, we are given comfort because the psalmist lifts our eyes up to the one who heals the broken hearted. Here we see that our God is the God who builds and gathers. He is the God who heals and binds, is infinite in power and knowledge, knows every little detail about us. He enters into and interacts with a broken creation around us. He delights in us when we place our awe and hope in him. He interacts in the lives of his people and he speaks. This is who our God is. And we are in safe hands. The one who heals the brokenhearted is not only capable of healing, but is also willing. But what is his means of doing so? What is his means of healing? And I believe the answer is found in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 4, 16 to 21. It says this, So he came, that being Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he, had brought, where, he had, sorry, where he had been brought up. And as, his, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Here we see, here is Jesus. And he here, he comes back to Nazareth where he was brought up. And as was he, his custom, he enters into the synagogue. Uh, and then we see here that he's handed the book of the prophet of Isaiah. And the bit here that Jesus is about to read from is found in Isaiah 61. And it's one we can still read today. And he says this. And when he had opened the book, he had found the place where it was written. And Jesus says this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book 
and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Here Jesus reads this prophecy. And and it's a prophecy we still have today. We can read today, found in Isaiah 61. Jesus reads this and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the acceptable of year of the Lord. And then after that, he closes the book. And he goes and sits down. And everybody is looking at him. Everybody is watching him. It's like, what? And then, this is what Jesus says. With everybody's eyes and attention fixed on him, Jesus then says this. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Here we see that Jesus stands up, he reads this scroll, closes the book and sits down and says, Today, this scripture, this prophecy is fulfilled. Because he is the one for which the prophecy talks about. The one who will preach the gospel, who will heal the broken hearted and proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, who will set free the oppressed. This is about Jesus. Jesus is the one and our means of healing. He is our means of healing the broken hearted. This gives us hope for today. 2,000 years ago, this prophecy was fulfilled. This gives us hope because it means that Jesus' work of healing has already begun and continues today. It began in his earthly ministry. It led him to a cross where he died for our sins. But then he rose again and this same Jesus who was sent to heal the brokenhearted is still alive today and is at work. And when we give our lives to him and accept that gift of forgiveness on the cross, He takes up residence inside our hearts through his Holy Spirit. This God who heals the broken heart, it literally lives inside of us and begins to get to work. He begins to heal our broken hearts. We see that at the cross we are forgiven and we have this gift of forgiveness. And that is comfort for this person who's broken heart because they sin but it's also comfort for the one who is sinned against. Because here, Jesus says, look, the sin that was committed against you was so serious, I was willing to die for it. I was willing to go to a cross, not just to forgive you, but so those who sin against you could also receive forgiveness. He says that you no longer have to be identified by what was done to you because of what I have done. Now let me become your identity. We see at the cross we are made new. We are given new hearts and become new creations. We see at the cross that death, mourning and sorrow do not have the final word, but Jesus does. Because he rises again. He conquers death. In the cross, all those things that we kind of just mentioned about God, all those characteristics we see in the Psalms, we see them practically demonstrated 
in Jesus at the cross. We see that Jesus through the cross builds and gathers. He builds his church through the cross and gathers us to him, both individually and corporately. We see that he heals and binds, that through the cross we receive forgiveness and new life. We are set free from the sin we commit, but also receive healing from the sins committed against us. In the cross we see his infinite power and knowledge, but that he knows every little detail about us. He knew how sinful we were and that we were in desperate need of a saviour. In the cross he interacts with a broken world and a broken creation. And in the cross we see how he delights when in awe of him we place our hope in him. In the cross he speaks to us because he ultimately demonstrates his love through that greatest act of love in the cross. We have hope for today because this Jesus has begun his healing. (laughs) We have hope today that because he is alive, we can have our hearts healed. But we also have hope for tomorrow. We, until we go to be with Jesus, will always wrestle in a broken world. And we will time and time again have not only our hearts broken, but break the hearts of others. But here, Jesus not only promises us to daily heal us and renew us, and this God of healing is available now and interacts with us now, but we also know that one day, when all has come to an end, for those who believe in Jesus, we will see our ultimate healing, our ultimate redemption. In Revelation 21, it says this about our future hope. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard the loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. We have this hope that for every believer in Jesus Christ, no matter the extent of our sorrow and brokenness in this life, one day we will be completely healed. Sorrow and brokenness for the Christian do not have the final word, but joy and healing do. And we have this promise that no matter how dark things get, if we have given our lives to Jesus, one day we will dwell with him and he will wipe away every tear from our eye. One day we will experience our ultimate and our final and our complete and utter healing. And until that day, we continually, we continue to eagerly 
await. <laughs> we wait with eagerness, seeking, dice, uh, seeking Christ daily and experiencing the healing he has already ordained for us while waiting for the complete fulfillment of it to come. As Christians, we have this hope that as we are on this, here on this life, that Jesus makes himself available to us today, that we can go to him today and that he can begin to bring healing and redemption in our lives today. But we also have this future hope where one day that healing will be completely complete will be completely fulfilled, will be completely realized. So what does this look like? It means like us humbly, day by day, seeking Christ, allowing him to do his work in our lives, whilst always looking eagerly ahead. And how do we kind of do this practically? I think it is, the key is waiting with expectant hope expectant that not only Christ will do things now, but also that one day, ultimately, it will be completely fulfilled. As I kind of shared with some of the guys yesterday, um, Psalm 130, Psalm 130, which is kind of where we'll bring this to a close. Here we see this beautiful psalm is all about redemption and about this man, this psalmist, waiting for that redemption. And the idea of redemption is the idea of being saved, being set free, being, being purchased at a price. Here we see in this Psalm 130, this man who is eagerly waiting for his healing and redemption in God. And here we see here, he kind of focuses, and we can kind of get the idea that he's waiting for healing and redemption from the sins that he's committed. But I think as we read through this, it's not just applicable for those, for when we are are broken because of our own sin, but I think it's also applicable when we are broken because of the sin done to us and when we are broken because of how we see others suffering. And it says this, the psalmist in verse 1, Oh, out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice and let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those watching for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. If your heart is broken from the sins committed against you, or from the sins that you have committed, place your hope in Jesus and wait for his redemption. Here through the psalm we see the practical things he does. We see how he prays honestly. He's war in his prayers. It means us coming before God and being like, Lord... And crying out to him in honesty, knowing that he knows what is going on in our hearts. We see here that the psalmist confesses his own sin. There will be moments where we have truly been sinned against, but if we're honest, often our response to that has been one which is sinful. Or there have been moments where we have sinned ourselves, 
And we are called to confess our own sin, to highlight our own sin. But then that moves us to embrace the forgiveness found in the cross. As he says, but there is forgiveness with you. And we wait for him. We hope in his word, which means we daily get in his word, even when we don't feel like it. Waiting, humbly knowing that our redemption is at hand. And we ultimately hope in him, eagerly waiting for that healing, really eagerly waiting for that redemption, knowing that one day we will see the complete fulfillment, but also knowing that today we still have that hope, that Jesus heals and that Jesus redeems. And our job is to humbly, continually seek him and place our hope in him eagerly waiting for him to get to work and do what he longs to do. So as we kind of bring this to a close, and when we think about this, I want us to remember that our God heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. And in knowledge of this, the question is, when our heart is broken, he'll Who or what will we run to? Will it be the God who heals the brokenhearted? Or will it be someone or something else? Here the psalmist calls us to place our hope in Jesus and to wait humbly and eagerly knowing that he is the one who brings redemption both now but also one day our ultimate redemption will be fully complete and realised. So let us continue to humbly seek him, to humbly wait upon him, and to put our hope in Jesus for the healing of our hearts, for the sin that we've committed, for the sin committed against us, for the brokenness of this world, knowing that our God is a God who heals the brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are the God who heals. I thank you for this promise that you give us, Lord, that you heal the brokenhearted. And uh, just, just looking back at what Jesus says. And I love how, the, how you so specifically say that of Jesus how Jesus is the one who heals us. How Jesus is the one who came to liberate us, who came to open our blind eyes, to give us sight, to give liberty to the oppressed and freedom. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you came to redeem us, to save us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to put our trust in you, to put our hope in you, As the psalmist calls us to do, he says, put your hope in the Lord because in him is abundant redemption. Open our eyes to see that in you is healing, in you is redemption, in you is salvation from the sins we commit, from that committed against us. Lord, if we're in that place of our our heart is hurting and broken, I pray, Lord, that we would turn to you and find healing and that we would eagerly wait upon you with our eyes fixed on you, with our hearts in the word, 
knowing and trusting that although our hearts are broken, we know that you heal. And we know that you will ultimately heal one day as well. I thank you that we have hope not just for our lives on this earth, but we have an even greater hope when we leave this world to go to be with you. So Father, my prayer is that you would heal our broken hearts, that you would call us, that you would (laughs) empower us to remain and eagerly wait with you in your presence. Because in your presence there is healing and there is life and there is joy. So Father, I pray that we would put our hope in you. And Lord, that you would begin to heal us. I thank you that you are a God who loves and redeems us. And by your Holy Spirit, help us to put into practice and to turn to you when we are broken hearted, but then also to call others to turn to you when they are broken hearted. Not to ourselves, because we can't save, but to you, because you can and you do save. So Father, may we realise that our salvation and our redemption is only found in you. So when we are in that place of brokenness, may we turn to you and find our redemption and find our healing. In your name, Jesus. Amen.